Well, man, I'll tell you what, it's, um, it's already been a, a great gathering already, hadn't it? Man, I'll, 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 every time I drive down here to, to church, I get excited. I literally get goosebumps. And tonight I uh, was excited about a couple of my friends who were being baptized. And that was, that was just fantastic. In fact, I want you to know, ever since this pandemic hit, uh, we've never stopped baptizing. Over the last six months, we, we've baptized. We've preached the gospel over the last six months. We have, uh, a lot of people have become members of our church over the last six months. We have prayed for a whole lot of people over the last six months. I can't tell you how many homes I've personally been in over these past six months, just sitting in living rooms with people, talking with them, having coffee with them, praying with them. It's been just fantastic. We've, um, I can't tell you how many young couples we've been involved in premarital counseling with, just marriage counseling. It's, uh, it's really quite something what this church has been doing over the last six months during the pandemic, right? But I am excited that it seems like we're, we're getting to open up more and more and we will continue to make disciples as best we know how. So uh, this morning I got up and my usual routine is I'll spend some time in this big chair I have. I turn on my worship music and uh, I just go over my, my message, just spend some time looking at it, praying over it, maybe tweaking a, a few things. And for whatever reason, I couldn't get through it and I just started to think about our elders and I just began to pray for them and I began to think about them by name and I thought about their wives and their families and I was just really grateful for the good men that lead our church who uh, during a very, very difficult, difficult time, this pandemic, uh, they are uh, doing their best to guide and lead according to the word of God. And hopefully you got to hear the very beginning of our gathering as Joel kind of unpacked uh, a statement from our elders. And then I was thankful for Joel, our senior pastor here at Big Valley Grace. And I get to see him at work probably more than, than most. And uh, in other words, I have kind of an up close and personal view of how God has made him and wired him and how God is using him here at Big Valley Graves. And I prayed for him. I was just super thankful for him and his wife. He's doing an incredible job during a very, very difficult season. And what was really interesting is I was thinking about him, praying for him. This morning, he actually called. My phone was next to me and it rings. I saw his name and I said, hey, how are you? And he, we talked for a second. He said, hey, I just called to, to pray with you before you preach tonight. And uh, I just thought that was really, really, really special. So I'm glad you're with us, okay? So we've been in a series here at Big Valley Grace where we've been looking at the 10 great commandments and uh, we're wrapping it up this weekend with number 10. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 20. Okay, turn to Exodus chapter 20. <clears throat> I do want to thank Pastor Lonnie Skiles and his team for putting together this, uh, this beautiful 50-day uh, uh, adventure companion journal that we've all been going through because this has been every bit um, as good and helpful 
as the, the preaching's been on the weekends, maybe even more so. We're a church that's about making disciples, and we think this moment right here is a part of that command to make disciples. We believe that when the church gathers, whether it's in homes or apartments or in backyards or motorhomes or down here in this brick and mortar building or out on the baseball field or out in the lobby or in the venue, wherever it is, we believe that when the word of God is preached, that's a part of making disciples, but we also create these incredible tools that we usually give out during different series. And I know God has used this, and it would be really crummy if I didn't say thank you to Pastor Lonnie and his team for putting that to, together for us. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, here it is. We're wrapping up the series, okay? God says to us, his people, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet his maidservant or manservant. You shall not covet his oxen or donkey. You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. You shall not covet. That's number 10. What does this mean? What does the word covet mean? Well, I, I, I found a few examples that I just want to share with you because I want to make sure you kind of got a, a baseline understanding of what exactly is coveting, okay? One of the uh, examples I found said, to wish for earnestly. Another one said, to desire what belongs to another inordinately or culpably. I like that one. Here was another one. To feel inordinate desire for what belongs to another. That's a pretty good one. But I really like this fourth one. An uncontrollable desire to acquire. I want to make sure that you understand exactly what the word coveting means. Now, the desire to acquire in and of itself isn't bad. It's not evil. God made squirrels, right? And he gave them the desire to acquire nuts, right? Especially maybe when winter's gonna come, that they would have enough food, you know, in their little holes or their little dens to make it through the winter. God made birds and he gave them the desire to acquire straw and mud to build nests so that, you know, they'd have a place to sleep and, you know, lay their eggs and all that kind of stuff. And here's the deal, God has made you. And he's given you the desire to acquire things. He filled the world with all kinds of exciting things, wonderful things, good things, desirable things, and he's given you the desire to acquire them. It's when the, that desire is out of control that it becomes a problem. Nothing wrong with desiring something. It's when 
that desire is out of control. That's when it becomes sinful. Let, let, let me put it to you another way, okay? And I, I wrote this down for you. There are some things that God says are off limits to you. They're not yours to want. They're not yours to acquire. They're, they're not yours to desire. Let me give you an example of maybe what I'm talking about, okay? God gave me my wife. God gave me Aaron for my enjoyment, which means she's off limits to you. God doesn't want you to desire her. You need to be content, and we're going to come back to that word in a little bit, with the wife that God gave you. God gave you your house for your enjoyment, which means it's off limits to me. I need to be content with the house that God has given me. God gave you your car for your enjoyment, which means it's off limits to me. I have to enjoy or be content with the car that God gave me. But here's the deal, we all have one big, huge, gigantic problem, and that problem is our flesh. Our, our flesh is all goofed up with sin, and at times, it's not content. It wants more and more and more stuff, and sometimes it even wants stuff that belongs to somebody else. It wants stuff that is off limits. That's our problem, is our flesh. And when that happens, when our flesh begins to desire things that is off limits to us, you just gotta buckle your seatbelts because all kinds of bad things are gonna happen. In fact, let me give you four things. This is maybe the, the bad side to coveting. And these are things that happen when you don't control your desire to acquire, all right? Here's the first one. And by the way, this isn't a comprehensive list. It's just things that tend to happen. Number one, when you covet, it wears you out. When you keep wanting things that are off limits to you, when you keep wanting to acquire things that are off limits to you, it just wears you out. Listen to what Proverbs chapter 23 says. Proverbs 23 says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. Man, don't wear yourself out trying to acquire things, especially the things that are off limits to you. But just be wise enough to know when to quit. Be wise enough to know that's off limits. Be wise enough to know that that isn't something that God wants you to have. The person that wrote that was a man by the name of Solomon. And the reason Solomon wrote it was because he did it. <laughs> he, he wore himself out trying to get more and more and more stuff. He did it. But people are no different today, are they? 
People are working harder and harder, taking second jobs, trying to get as much overtime as they can. Both spouses are working, all because they didn't control their desire to acquire, and now they're trying to figure out how in the world do we pay for it all, right? Coveting can wear you out. No, number two, when you covet, <laughs> it can often cause you to go into debt. When you keep wanting things that are off limits to you, when you keep wanting things that God says, that's not for you to want, when you keep going after those things, it'll worry out and it'll cause you to go into debt. Most people blame their financial problems on the fact that they don't make enough money. And most of the time, that's not true. They make enough money, they simply spend too much money buying them things that were off limits. Well, Rick, how do you know that they were off limits? Because they didn't have the money to purchase them. They had to put it on credit. I think that's one of the great ways you can kind of tell or judge whether something's off limits or not. Not all the time. But I would say about 95% of the time, you'll know it's off limits to you if you can't afford it. You gotta put it on credit. I read where the average American puts $1,300 on credit for every $1,000 that they make. Wow, what does that say? Number three, when you covet, <clears throat> it causes, or it can cause, it often causes conflict in your relationships. In fact, our brother James penned these words in chapter four. He says, what is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? And what are some of those evil desires that war within us? It's the desire for things that are off limits, right? You want what you don't have, see that? You want what you don't have. You want what isn't yours. You want what's off limits to you. So, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Man, that is really insightful. Maybe you haven't actually gone to war. Maybe you haven't actually killed somebody, but many people have. That's how, that's how powerful it can be when, when you want something and you can't get your hands on it. And for whatever, for whatever reason, you just can't get it, but you want it. Boy, it can mess up relationships. And last but not least, Number four, when you covet, it causes dissatisfaction in your life. Or it often can cause dissatisfaction in your life. I want you to listen to what Solomon said again. In Ecclesiastes chapter five, he says, if you love money, you'll just never be satisfied. If you long to be rich, you will never get all you want. And he says, it's just useless. And once again, the reason why he wrote this it's because that's one of the things he tried doing. 
He loved money. He loved power. He loved having things and stuff. He was the richest man of his day, maybe the richest man that's ever lived. And he wanted to be rich. He wanted more and more and more. And he bought more and more and more. And he just kept going. And he finally came to the conclusion, it's just useless. It's useless. Here's the deal. Obviously, things or stuff can bring happiness for a while. But the thrill doesn't last. Excitement wears off. And you'll see this happen in about the next 60 days. We're in about 60 days, right? It's Christmas. And if you're a parent or you've been a parent, you know exactly what I'm gonna say. You buy your children a toy or a game and Christmas morning, they're super excited and they're having fun with it. And, and then guess what? The thrill wears off. And that toy or whatever it is you bought them is, doesn't have the thrill it once had. How many of you have ever bought a brand new car? Man, I have. There's nothing like a new car smell, right? Get in that car, you drive it home, and whoa, this is my new car. I love my new car. And it does, man, uh, bring some happiness and some joy for a while. And then, I don't know, somebody spills something in it, and then you get a scratch on it, and rock breaks your window, and then the, the thrill's gone, right? It just isn't there anymore. I remember when I got my first smartphone, I was so excited to use it now, I pray it never goes off, right? I mean, it happens. We get bored with stuff. We get bored with new pieces of furniture, or new jewelry, or a new house, or whatever. The thrill wears off. So, when you covet, it wears you out. When you covet, it causes you to go into debt, often does. When you covet, it causes conflict in your relationships. And number four, when you covet, it causes dissatisfaction in your life. And as I said, that's not a comprehensive list, but those are four ugly things about coveting. So what's the antidote to coveting? What's... What's the prescription to getting over this crummy disease? Well, the antidote, the prescription to coveting is contentment, is contentment. But here's the deal. Contentment isn't something that comes easy to us humans. I read this great quote from Larry Perquet. He said this, he said, one of the greatest mysteries of Christianity is contentment. At least one must presume it's a mystery because so few people have found it. And I read that and I thought, man, and I think that's true. I know a lot of believers who just, just aren't content. Not content with what, what they have. So, so here's what I want to do. How, how does one become content? How, how do you get there? This side of glory, we're going to struggle with it, but let me give you a few thoughts, okay? And the first one's the most important one, okay? True, lasting contentment starts when you and God become friends. And for some of you, this is going to be the most important point of, the, of my whole message. 
True and lasting contentment starts when you and God become friends. Now, I'm gonna unpack something for you. I wanna make sure you understand, number one. Okay, I'm gonna give you the theological underpinning for it, if, if you will. The great prophet Isaiah said this in, in chapter 59. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so he will not hear. Sin had a cataclysmic impact on your life. When you go back to the very first book of the Bible, you get all the way back to the book of Genesis. You know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You look at all of those Old Testament books, those 39 books in the Old Testament, and you look at the 27 books in the New Testament. You go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, and in chapter three is where Adam sins against God. The very first human being rebels against God, and that brought sin into the equation of life. You and I are sinful because of what took place in Genesis chapter three. And our sin is what separated us from God. But not only did our sin separate us from God, but it also brought punishment. Exodus chapter 34 says this, I am the Lord, the Lord is a God who shows mercy, who is kind, who doesn't become angry, uh, uh, angry quickly, who has great love and faithfulness, and who is kind to, a thousand, to thousands of people. But it goes on and says this, the Lord forgives people for evil, for sin, and for turning against him, but he does not forget to punish guilty people. The God who's revealed in between these two leather-bound covers is absolutely incredible. He's wonderful. We love singing to him. He's a God of love and mercy and compassion and all those wonderful things. But here's the deal. He is going to punish guilty people, and the guilty people are those that haven't dealt with their sin. Your sin, your rebellion against God came with a high price and brought punishment. And it's hard to have true and lasting contentment when God's ticked off at you. It's hard to have true and lasting contentment when you and your, your creator are at, are at odds with one, another, with one another. Remember that old saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? Well, here's the deal. If God ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And so if you really want to experience true and lasting happiness, it begins when you and God get on the same page together. You see, the Bible says this in James chapter two. Abraham believed God and God accepted Abraham's faith. And that faith made him right with God. And Abraham was called God's friend. Wow. Abraham believed God and God accepted Abraham's faith. And that faith, the fact that he believed God, made him right with God. No longer was Abraham an enemy of God, but he was actually called God's friend. And the same thing is true for you. 
Your sin separated you from God. Your sin messed everything up between you and God. There's this chasm between you and God. God's punishment is hanging over your head. But at the moment you surrender your life over to Jesus Christ, at the moment you, you say, God, my life is yours. I want you to be the CEO of my life. And you believe God, God accepts that. And everything's made right between you and God. In fact, listen to what Romans chapter five says. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the bottom line. There was a moment in my life where I was separated from God. The punishment of God was hanging over my head. There was no way I could have true and lasting contentment because my creator and I were at odds with one another. But when I surrendered my life over to Jesus Christ, when I gave my life to Christ, when I put my trust in him, when I did what Abraham did and I believed in him at that moment, Christ came into my life through the power of the Holy Spirit. My sins were forgiven. Everything was made right between me and God. And now no longer are we enemies. God calls me his friend. And let me tell you something. That's where true and lasting contentment begins. As you have to know, you have to know that you and God are okay with one another. But I do want to give you a couple others. Number two, and by the way, if you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never surrendered your life over to the Lord, let me tell you something, the greatest thing you can do would be to turn off the TV, turn off your computer or whatever, and just get on your face before God and say, Lord, I want to give my life to you right now. I surrender my life over to you right now. And after you've done that, you get back online and let us know. And one of the pastors here will contact you. We'd love to hip hip parade the decision you've made to give your life to Christ because that's the most important thing. You'll never be content in your life, never. You'll never experience true contentment unless you give your life to Christ. Guarantee it. But number two, true and lasting contentment comes from a deep understanding that God is in control of your life. Now this is for those of us that have already given our life to Christ, because let me tell you something. There's a whole bunch of believers out there, as Larry Burkett said, man, it's just a mystery. We, we're not finding contentment. What's the problem that we as believers have? Well, I think it's right here. Is we don't have a deep understanding that God is actually in control of our lives, or we don't believe it. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians chapter four. He said, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned this, the, the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty stomach, with plenty or with little, and here it is. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You see, Paul knew that Jesus Christ would give him the strength and the power he needed to face whatever circumstances came his, his way. Paul knew that God was in complete control of everything, and he believed it. He had an incredible trust in God, a, a deep trust that God was going to take care of him. 
I remember, um, man, this is 40 years ago. I had just kind of gotten, I given my life to the Lord and I was working here at the church as a volunteer back then. This is 40 years ago. And we had a, uh, um, uh, a trip. We did a little fun trip with a bunch of junior high students and we went to Santa Cruz. The church was little back then and so the youth group wasn't very big. And there were a, a, a couple of, of gals and I, I remember who, who they were. And they were little junior high girls and we were at Santa Cruz Beach and Boardwalk and we're all having fun and walking around. And all of a sudden, as we were walking around, me and some of the leaders and the kids, there was this biker gang there. And I don't remember what gang they were, but they were all, you know, they had their outfits on and, you know, they all had big muscles and tattoos and chains and all the stuff. And these two junior high girls got, got scared. They saw them and got afraid. And as I was walking, they reached up and grabbed my hands. And the reason why they grabbed my hands is what they were saying is, you know what? I feel safe with you. You'll protect me. Because they were afraid. No, nothing happened. Let me tell you what the Apostle Paul knew. It didn't matter where he was. He could just reach up and grab God's hands. And he knew. He could do anything through Christ who gives me strength. And the greater your understanding is of this truth, that God is in control of your life, I want you to know, the more content you'll be in whatever your circumstances are. Hebrews chapter 13 says this, keep yourselves free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? Because God has said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. God says, I want you to be content with what you have. Don't get all goofed up wanting more and more stuff. Why? Because you have the greatest gift of all. Something that's way more valuable than silver or gold. And that is, you have the very presence of Christ in your life. And he says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And when you know that deep down, when you realize when, when things are going crazy, all I got to do is reach up and grab God's hands. I want you to know something. You'll be con content. I read the story of this old fisherman. He was uh, sitting by the shore one day, just sort of kicking back about mid-afternoon. And a rich uh, corporate guy, you know, real go-getter type, walked by and saw this old fisherman just sitting there, you know, with his boat all tied up. And he said, hey, what are you doing just sitting around? And the old fisherman replied, I'm just resting. I caught enough fish for me and my family today. I'm just resting. And the corporate guy said, well, what do you mean you caught enough fish? And the fisherman said, well, I, I, I caught all the fish I need for me and my family. And the corporate guy said, here's what you should do. You should go out and catch more fish so you can sell them to other people. And the fisherman said, well, why should I do that? And the big shot corporate guy said, well, you need to sell them so you can buy bigger boats and bigger nets so you can go out into the deeper waters so that you can catch even more fish so eventually you could have a whole fleet of boats. And the old fisherman said, well, why would I want to do that? 
And the corporate guy said, because once you've done that, you can kick back and take it easy. And the old fisherman said, well, well that's what I'm doing now. <laughs> now, is it wrong to grow a business? No. Is it wrong to increase your income? No. But you gotta like the attitude of this old fisherman, right? I mean, he had learned to be content with what he had. Cut enough fish for him to eat. Cut enough fish for his family to, to eat. He didn't need more. Now, I want you to know that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still working on this truth. There are many times I let go of the Lord's hands, and at those moments, I, I think I, I forget. I forget some great truths. And at times, I'm not very content. Number three, true and lasting contentment comes when you stop comparing yourselves to others. Nothing good comes when you compare yourself to somebody else. Nothing good. It's always, uh, it's always a bummer. You see, you can wake up in the morning and feel really great about, you know, what God's been doing in your life and all the great things that God has done. And you can be thankful for your spouse and your kids and your home and your car and your watch and whatever it is that God's given you. And, 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 and then all of a sudden, you see somebody else and once you start to compare yourself with them, nothing good happens. In fact, let me tell you the two things. One of two things is gonna happen when you compare yourself to somebody else, and neither one of them are good. Number one, you find out your stuff is better than the person you're comparing yourself with. You're looking at that, oh, and guess what that does? It leads to pride. It leads to pride. And number two, you find out the stuff isn't as nice as the person you're comparing yourself to, and that leads to bitterness. It leads to jealousy and envy and covetedness. It's never good to compare your life with someone else. All it does is mess you up. Now, now Jesus gives a huge warning in Luke chapter uh, 12. He says, watch out. Watch out. Hey, watch out. Be careful. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Be on guard. Watch out. When you start comparing yourself and you see somebody else who has a bigger house, a nicer car, a better watch, nicer ties, whatever it might be, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And the reason why Jesus said this was he knew us. He knew that our flesh would begin to desire things that were off limits. And he's telling us, watch out. Be careful. And last but not least, number four, and this one's super important, and it may not even make any sense when you first hear it, but that is this. True and lasting contentment comes when you share what you have to help others. There is something really deep that happens. When you get your eyeballs off of you, and all the things that you have or all the things that you don't have and you begin to focus your life and your energy on somebody else. You care about them, you, you're loving them, you're helping them become a greater disciple of the Lord. 
You're, you're, you're involved in their life, however that might, might be. Paul said this in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He said, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. So God has given you some stuff. God's given me some stuff. God has given you know, your, your neighbor some stuff for our enjoyment. Those are things he, he gave somebody else. They're off limits to any, anybody else. They're just, they're just given to your neighbor. They're given to you. They're given to me. Tell them, verse 18 says, to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as good as a good foundation for the future so they may not so they may experience true life. Those are some good words. In other words, what, what Paul is telling us is, look, <laughs> instead of worrying about what everybody else has, instead of wanting what's off limits to you, just take what you have and focus it on other people. I'm being a blessing to other people. I want you to think about all the different relationships that you have. You've got a relationship with your spouse if you're married. You've got a relationship with the Lord. You've got a relationship with your kids. Some of you have a relationship with your grandkids. Some of you have a, a relationship with your parents and your grandparents. You've got a relationship with your friends. You've got a relationship with those you work with. You've got relationships with those that live in your neighborhoods. You've got relationships with your brothers and sisters here at Big Valley Grace. But there's one relationship that I'll bet none of you thought of, and it's a really weird one but it's critical, and that's your money, your wealth. And like any other relationship, if you get it wrong, it'll really mess you up, really mess you up. Instead of saying, hey God, thank you for what I do have, and I'm gonna be content with what I do have, and not only am I gonna be content with what I do have, but I'm gonna use it to be a blessing to others. You start thinking about what you don't have. And you start, start coveting what somebody else has. You want to acquire what they have. And it's off limits to you, man. That'll mess your life up. So these four things are critical for becoming a more content person, right? Contentment comes when you and God become friends. Contentment comes when you have a deep understanding that God is in control of your life. Contentment comes when you stop comparing yourselves to others. And contentment comes when you share what you have with others. So, with all that said, this incredible study on the Ten Commandments is coming to an end, okay? And so this is what I'd like to do as we end, because I don't want us to forget these Ten Commandments. God doesn't want us to forget them. They're easy to memorize. I want to I just kind of walk through them with you, just real, real quick as I land the plane. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me, okay? I want you to say that in your home, in your apartment, in your backyard, in your motorhome, or whatever, wherever you're at. Here we go. You shall have no other gods before me. I think it's number one because it ought to be number one. You make sure you don't have any other gods in your life but him. He's got to be the priority. Number two, 
You shall not make for yourself an idol. Everybody say it. Here we go. You shall not make for yourself an idol. Man, Lonnie told us when he preached this a couple of months ago, this is about worship. There's nothing else in your life that you worship. And I'm not talking about a little tiny idol that you've carved. It could be your job, a career. It could be your kids, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your fiance. Number three. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Everybody say it, here we go. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Hey, God's name is holy, it's sacred, it's set apart. Don't say anything crummy uh, about his name. Don't use his name in in vain or anything like that. Number four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Say it, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Hey, have one day of the week that you set aside that's really different. For most of you, it's either Saturday or maybe it's Sunday. It's a day where you focus on the Lord in a special way. It's a day when maybe you gather together in your home, in your residence, or, or it could be here in this brick and mortar building. It, it, it could be out on the baseball field. It could be in series somewhere. I don't know where it is, but you set it aside and you give a gift to the Lord you sing, you hear the word preached by, by me or, your, or Pastor Joel. Number five, honor your father and your mother. Say it, honor your father and your mother. Teenagers, just you, honor your father and your mother. Hey, come on, they're your father and your mother. Remember we looked at that and the Bible says, hey, you ought to honor them because without them, you wouldn't even be here, right? They're the ones that brought you into the world. Number six, You shall not murder. Everybody say it. You shall not murder. One more time. You shall not murder. Man, life is is precious to God. Only he gets to decide those kinds of things. Number seven, do not commit adultery. Say it again. Do not commit adultery. One more time. Do not commit adultery. Remember Joel's message on this? Took us all the way back to the book of Genesis. God created a family, Adam and Eve. He loves family, and this is one of the ways he protects a family. Man, nothing will goof up a a relationship, a family like, like adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Say it, you shall not steal. Say it again, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not give false testimony. Say it, you shall not give false testimony. Don't lie. And number 10, what we looked at uh, right now, you shall not covet. Man, let me just tell you something. 10 simple little phrases. And yet, um, they're just profound, aren't they? And I know that uh, next week, you know, we'll, Lord willing, we'll move into a, another series. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll start our, I think we're going into our missions conference. I'm not really sure, but Joel has laid out just a lot of really great teachings and series that are coming up, and I'm excited about them. And I don't, I don't know what the next one is. It doesn't matter. But I don't want this one to fall off the, off the radar screen. Okay. You ought to keep looking at these 10. You ought to put a little thing in Exodus or, or Exodus chapter 20, yeah, and just go back and keep looking at those 10 things. It's a great way just to see how you're doing in your walk with the Lord. Let me, let me pray for everybody, okay? Father, thank you. So grateful that we went through these commandments. Thankful, God, of how my own life has been, I don't know, challenged, rearranged, 
Man, I had a lot of repenting to do as I went through this. God, you revealed some areas in my life that I needed to work on. You also were such an encouragement to me, Lord, as I saw things that I'm doing really well in. Father, um, continue to use this whole series in people's lives, God. Thank you for your goodness to us, and I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you, okay? Live for Christ.